0: in a series of studies on the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2. The letter under study is to the church at Pergamum. Pastor Steve will discuss with us the second part of this letter to a church that faced external persecution but also had some internal problems. The topic under discussion is the consequences of compromise and how Satan worked to destroy this church from within. Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. Here is Pastor Steve.
1: Now, let me explain what's going on here. What Balaam said to Balak is this, I can't curse this nation. They are a God-blessed people. I cannot, I'm not allowed to curse them. But have your women seduce the men of Israel and that'll corrupt God's people through sexual immorality and pagan idolatry. That was his counsel. The doctrine of Balaam, folks, is to corrupt from within. It's to pollute God's people from the purity of their faith. See, Israel was to be a distinct people, not like the pagans around them. They were to be distinct. They were to be different. They, they ate differently. They dressed differently differently. They were unlike the pagans around them. And they were, that's why they are known. They were known as a peculiar people. That's not a put down. It's to say they were different. They were were considered unique, not like anybody else. But Balaam said, corrupt them from within so that they'll lose their distinctions and they will compromise and they will be polluted from the inside. The doctrine of Balaam is to corrupt from within, to pollute God's people from the purity of their faith. And that was exactly what Jesus said was going on in the church at Pergamum. Although they were faithful to Christ's name, and he commends them for that, and they were theologically loyal to the gospel, they stopped being separated in their behavior. That was their problem. They were a compromising church. If the church at Ephesus was a church that had left its first love, and the church at Smyrna was characterized by suffering, then the church at Pergamum is the compromising church, the worldly church, the non-separated church. In other words, they started to compromise and live like everybody else around them, all the unsaved people in Pergamum. Now, they still believe the truth, but they started to live like the pagans around them. They didn't deviate in their doctrine. They were still Orthodox. They worshiped the Lord, but they attended pagan feasts as well. They went to to church, but they began apparently to marry pagan wives and do things like that. Now, does this remind you of anybody? Well, the answer I think is obvious. It reminds us of the typical 21st century evangelical church. The church today is filled with Christians who are theologically sound. You can look at their doctrinal statement, where they go to church, and it looks great. And they would not think of denying Christ, but they live so oftentimes just like pagans, just like pagans. They compromise in their lives. They can tell you when and where they were saved, but they don't think a great deal about divorcing their spouse. And they'll say things like, "Well, God wants me to be happy, doesn't He?" They can praise the Lord for what He's doing one day and commit fornication the next day, and it doesn't seem to bother them. They they compartmentalize their lives. Church is one thing, but the rest of the week it's another. They can come to church and worship God on Sunday, and then on Monday they are gossiping and cursing with their fellow workers. Our lifestyles don't often reflect what we claim to believe. That's the church. Today, that was the church of Pergamum. We believe the truth, but we live so often like pagans. And, And if you dare to declare that, then you are often called a legalist. A legalist. You cannot mix Christianity and paganism. That's compromise. The Bible condemns compromise with the world. Now, we've been studying Galatians, what true legalism is. So we want to make sure that we understand that when we're talking about legalism, we're talking about going beyond the Bible. When the Bible is firm and authoritative on a command, we don't deviate from that. The Bible condemns compromise with the world. Let me show you where it condemns us, and we need to take this to heart. For example, and it's, there are many places, First John, perhaps the best-known statement is First John chapter 2. Verse 15, John says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Don't love the world. He's talking about the world's evil system, not the world of people. We obviously are to love the people of this world, but don't love the system, the evil system, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, all that's a part of Satan's system, it's a system without God, is basically what he's talking about. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life it's not from the father but it's from the world john emphatically says do not love the world and then he goes on in verse 17 to say the world is passing away it's lust also but the one who does the will of god he abides forever in romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 paul speaks about not being conformed to this world. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, thinking differently. We are not to be conformed, molded into the shape of this world. And then notice John chapter 15. John chapter 15, powerful statement by Jesus. In John chapter 15, notice what our Lord said in verse 19. If you were of the world, m- meaning if you were unsaved, if you were part of the world system, the world would love its own. The world does love its own. They love its own because they share the same values, the same ambitions, the same desires. They have the same kind of jokes, the same kind of humor, the same kind of way of looking at things. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world Hates you. That, that's the normal reaction of the world when they really know what you believe, when they really know how you think. They're not comfortable with you. They're not. But if they are comfortable, if the world of unbelievers really enjoy being with you, I mean a lot, they really enjoy it, something is wrong. Why would the world ever love believers unless believers became like the world? And we affirmed their worldliness and ungodliness. In other words, the the only way the two ever get together is when the believer takes on the values and lifestyle of the world, and then the world doesn't hate them. They love them. Listen, if Satan cannot destroy our church, Lakeside Community Chapel, through external pressures to deny what we believe, then he will just plant people in the congregation who will say things to you like, it's all right. Go ahead and do it. do what everybody else is doing. After all, doesn't God want you to be happy? Or how are you going to be a witness to the world? How are you going to witness for Christ? How are they going to listen to you if you're just an oddball and you don't know what they're talking about and you haven't participated in what they participate in? So go ahead and do those things. Be very careful of compromise. Be very careful in this day and age where people really do not connect the dots of what we believe and what we're to practice. That's, that's the evangelical church, and at least in, in the United States. Don't be like that. We're not to be like that as a church. You and I are not to be like that as individuals. So the problem of the uh, Balaam people was that they compromised. There, there was a lack of absolute obedience and separation. We are still to be a peculiar people. We are still to be a separated people. Uh, this is really how apostasy begins First, you change your behavior, then you change your doctrine to justify your behavior, and you just embrace all kinds of evil things, homosexuality and feminist movement, the inerrancy of scripture, just because you, you don't like what it says, because it doesn't fit your, your lifestyle. Now, that's the first error that was affecting this church, the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam. But secondly, he speaks in verse 15 of the Nicolaitans. We also read about them in connection with the church at Ephesus. They had some teaching of the Nicolaitans there. And as I told you, when we looked at that, we really don't know exactly what the teaching was, but it would appear, it would appear because there's a similarity here. It looks like they're almost synonymous that the Nicolaitans were a group that said it was all right to be immoral immoral. There are early church writers who say that they taught unrestricted indulgence. So it would be probably very similar. So the condition of the church at Pergamum was compromised. False teachers influencing people in the church to do away with holy living. Keep the doctrine, that's fine, but do away with holy living. So how do you remedy a situation like that? How do you correct that? Well, we move from the correspondent of this church, to this church, Christ himself, to the condition of the church, which was compromised, now to correction. Verse 16. How do you correct a situation like this? Verse 16 says, therefore, repent. Repent. Change your thinking and forsake your sin. Take these things to heart and change. That's what repent means. Let me show you a great, great Verse, James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? You want to be a friend of the world? You're going to be an enemy of God. That's what he goes on to say. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Verse 5 is a very difficult verse to translate. Perhaps the, the meaning in context is something like this. The spirit who dwells in us yearns for our full devotion. I take it that that is the essence of thought. The spirit who dwells in us yearns for our full devotion. He is jealous that we be fully devoted to the Lord. First Peter chapter 1 says, be holy because I'm holy. If you are doing things that a redeemed child of God should not do, and you're aware of this, then change your behavior. Confess your sin, start walking in holiness. It is never too late, never too late to begin. Now, you may say, well, what if we live properly? Do we still need to repent? Yes, the the church at Pergamum, even the individuals who didn't buy into this, they still needed to repent, and I'll tell you why. Because they tolerated the evil practice that was going on In their church, they allowed people in their church who taught this kind of stuff. That's why Jesus is so strong when he says, repent, repent. Discipline should have taken place in this church. They should have dealt with people who held to these two doctrines of the Nicolaitans and Balaam. They should have put them out of the church if they did not repent, but they didn't do that. So, what if the church does not repent and deal with those who compromise? Well, let's move on from the correspondent. We saw the condition, the correction, repent. Now we we see the consequences of the church's behavior. It does not repent. Verse 16 goes on to say, Therefore, repent, or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus said, He's coming. He's coming. Now you say, is that a bad thing? It, it is when he's coming to make war, it's a bad thing. that You don't want that. In other words, he's coming in judgment to cut these compromising people out of the church. That's what he's saying. That's why he has the sword in his mouth. He's the judge. You see, if the church doesn't deal with these people in their congregation in discipline, he's telling them he will. He will purify his church with them, or without them. But if, he, if they don't do this, then, he, then he's going to make war on the church. This is a very significant truth in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't think we take this seriously enough. But Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 11, in the context of the Lord's Supper, about the church at Corinth, who did not, the people there did not examine themselves when they came to the Lord's table. Instead, those who were free people and not slaves who got to the, uh, they had like a potluck dinner first and then the Lord's Supper, known as an agape feast. Those who got there first and they didn't wait for the slaves who could not come just whenever they wanted. These people were eating already. They were gluttonous. They were even getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They were not drinking grape juice and they were getting drunk. And Paul condemns them. But let's, let's read this. Let's read this, starting at verse 27 of First Corinthians 11. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, now all of us are unworthy of the Lord, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about an unworthy manner. The unworthy manner is a sinful manner of unrepentant sin, the drunkenness, the gluttony, the wrong attitudes. He says, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but a man must examine himself And in so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. If He does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, notice, here's our Lord's discipline on his church. If a church doesn't discipline, here's what he does. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. He means that he's taken some home to heaven early. A number are dead. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. This is a discipline. This is not a judgment that sends anyone to hell. But that's what our Lord is talking about, about this discipline of sin to the church at Pergamum. So, what are the consequences if you tolerate compromise in your church? If you see somebody in our church who's not living like they should for the Lord and is in is in blatant compromise to the standards of Scripture, you are to go to them and confront them, as Matthew 18 says. And if we don't do that and we don't deal with sin, then Jesus is going to deal with us. He's coming to judge us. That's a very serious thing. Now, finally, the fifth thing that the Lord tells them is he gives a challenge to the church. In light of all this, there's a final challenge. Verse 17, he who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit, notice this, says to the churches, not just to the church at Pergamum. This is a letter now that all believers are reading and are challenged to do something in light of this problem. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Now, Jesus is saying, listen, listen to what I have to say. Even if no one else in your church responds to my message, You have a responsibility to heed it. This is an individual challenge. He speaks, first of all, of hidden manna, hidden manna. In the Old Testament, God promised manna to the children of Israel, and he gave it. It was some type of wafer. It was a a food from heaven that was to sustain the children of Israel as they marched in the wilderness, some type of a food wafer. But the Lord says, I have hidden manna for you. I've hidden bread. What he's saying is the Lord has spiritual sustenance for the believer. We're the overcomer. Believers are overcomers. He has spiritual sustenance, bread of heaven for the believer. In eternity, we will be nourished properly. We will be sustained by him. Christ will give us nourishment. He will be our nourishment. He is the bread of heaven. So what he's saying is when you put this together, if he has hidden manna, and, and it's for eternity, then you don't need to feed off of the world. Christ is going to feed you. You don't need to compromise now. You don't need to go to, to the world's table for their fellowship. You don't need to live like the world. He's referring to full fellowship with him in heaven. So he's saying there's coming a day when we will be feasting in heaven, so you don't need to feed off of the world's banquets right now. You don't need that stuff. Live differently because you're going to live differently in heaven. And then he speaks of a white stone. Notice verse 17. A white stone. I'll Give him a white stone, a new name written on that stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Bible teachers are really not quite sure of what Jesus meant by the white stone. But I think the best suggestion is that the white stone, while it stood for a lot of things in that day, In keeping with the context of the feast and the the banquets, which he's talking about with the hidden manna, Jesus probably was referring to the custom, a custom in John's day, that a white stone was used as a ticket to gain admission to a feast. Instead of giving you a little paper ticket, they gave you a white stone. And on this white ticket, Jesus said, is our new name. And what is that new name? I don't know. It's a new name. And only when we get it will we, we know. But it probably represents our new character, our redeemed character in Christ. In Christ, we are new creatures. But that white ticket allows us to feast with him in glory because it represents the fact that we've been transformed, that we've been given a new nature. We've been given regeneration for all of eternity because of the fact of Christ's death for our sins and the work of grace in our lives. So the Lord is challenging them. Don't live like the world now. You're going to live with me for all of eternity. I give you the white stone as your ticket to heaven because you've been transformed. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. So don't live like the world now. That's not what's before you for eternity. Listen, you can't flirt and marry the world now. Jesus said you can't do that. Why? Because your future is one of pure fellowship with Christ. It is so inconsistent. Why live like the world now when someday we are going to have a banquet feast with Christ? Perfect fellowship with him. Don't live differently now than what you're going to live like in glory. So when you die, it's, it's not that big of a transition. Listen, if you're not interested in fellowship with Christ, and this means nothing to you, and you don't care about compromise, then you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. If there's not a a pang in your heart that says, I want to repent, I want to live like Christ wants me to live, if there's nothing of that there, then you still don't know the Lord. You need to trust him as your Savior, and don't assume that you know him because years ago somebody told you you're saved. The Bible says we have no concern for obedience. We're not saved. So what is the message to the church at Pergamum? Do not compromise with the world. Live as a distinct Christian, even if it brings persecution. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for giving your son this message to this little church. Lord, it's relevant for us. The pull on our lives is to be like the world, like those all around us. Help us, Lord, to feed our souls on the bread of life, to have such wonderful fellowship with you, Lord, that we wouldn't be interested in what the world has to offer. It's so weak, so pathetic. Lord, we thank you for what you do give us. Thank you for the fellowship with you. We pray that you will convict us of our sins so that whatever we're doing that is worldly, help us to repent of that. Not legalistic worldly, but really worldly. The spirit of this age, self-centeredness, self-promotion. Help us, Lord, to repent of that. And I pray that you help our church to be a church of purity, not only in doctrine, but in the way we, we live. May we not compartmentalize our lives may we not be something on sunday but not the same throughout the week lord i pray you'll take your precious word drive it home to our lives use it for your glory we pray this in jesus name amen
0: thanks pastor steve for this valuable study on personal and corporate holiness within our churches today verse by verse is an outreach ministry of lakeside community chapel in clearwater florida if you would like to hear this message again Point your web browser to www.versebyverseradioalloneword.org. You can stream it or download it. Call us at 727 239 0306 to order a CD of the entire message. That's 727 239 0306. While on the website you can browse through hundreds of other messages by Pastor Steve and download them free of charge. That website, again, is versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse is supported by the financial gifts of interested listeners and friends. Pray for this ministry, and give if the Lord directs you to do so. Until next class, I'm your announcer, Ken Anderson. Thanks for listening.
1: you've been listening to verse by verse sponsored by verse by verse ministries this program was pre-recorded to learn more including how to donate to this ministry visit versebyverseradio.org that's versebyverseradio.org weekdays at 1 p.m don't miss fresh wind radio with dr jomo cousins
0: no it's right there in the world and i say to you that you are now peter you are peter the rock And then the verse 19, I will give you the keys. Now, here's keep going. Authority. The keys mean authority. Fresh Wind Radio with Dr. Chomo Cousins. Weekdays at...